better. The greater than anything, the greatest surrender was actually done by you. When, Father, you surrendered your only begotten Son, Jesus the Christ, on the cross for our sins, that we could trade our guilt for His innocence, our death for His life, our filth for His purity, and with that, our works for His grace. So, Lord, may we walk in that grace tonight as we seek to worship You in the study of Your Word. May we worship You with our attention. May we worship You with our intention, our intention to apply. May we worship You with our retention as we seek to hold this in our hearts and minds. And then in that, Lord, do things through us that we could not possibly dream of doing humanly. So we commit this night to You now. Be exalted, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As the lights go on, do this. Grab a person next to you, and not in any sort of evangelical dating manner, but in you do that. Grab someone and just pray for them. Pray that God would speak to them tonight. Pray that God would open their heart. Don't let anybody here be without it. Open them up, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 28. We are in the last chapter of the book of Acts tonight. I don't anticipate we will actually get through the entire chapter because we're going to have too much fun on route. But that doesn't surprise any of you who have been here more than once. I'm sure of that. So, so <coughs> chapter 28, verse 1. Read along with me if you would, please. Now, when they had escaped... Then they found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. Now when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice has not allowed him to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. Which, by the way, you notice nobody seems to have left the room when this happens or the fire. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. It's, you know, one or the other. Murderer, god. Within the Greek culture, that's actually, you could be the same thing. Now, in that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. You guys know what dysentery is, right? Okay. Because I don't want to have to develop that much. Paul went in to him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways. <coughs> Excuse me. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. You know, after three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days, and from there we circled around and reached Regium. And after one day, I'm sorry, after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Puteoli, where we found brethren, and we were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so they went toward Rome. Now from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as the Appi Forum and three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and he took courage. Will you pray with me, please? What a sweet gift it is tonight, Lord. Here in the beauty of this room and the warmth, strangely warm for as cold as it is outside. 
And here, Lord, you have provided us opportunity tonight to fellowship with you in your word. You know every one of us. You know those of us right now, Lord, who we feel like we're doing great, and we are. You know those who feel like they're doing great, and they're not. You know those, Lord, who aren't doing well, and they know it, and they've come because they need your touch tonight. Truth be told, we all need your touch tonight. And so, Lord, speak fluent us tonight. Speak alley to alley, Angela to Angela. Speak what we need to hear. Not just what we want to hear, but what we need to hear tonight. Lord, that which will provide challenge to the complacent, encouragement to the discouraged, strength to the weak, equipment, Lord, equipping us for every good work which you've already foreordained ahead of time. (coughs) We pray, Lord, that you would bring salvation to this room, that you would bring transformation to this room, that you would, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, minister profoundly to each of us tonight. So, Lord, speak. Immerse me in your Holy Spirit, God, that tonight I would disappear and you would appear. That you would fill me to overflowing, God, so that you would minister through me. Lord, so that each of us could be personally and powerfully touched tonight. Encourage, Lord. Bless. We commit this night to you. Redeem every second, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say tonight as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. In 2 Corinthians, Paul speaks to a group of people who, in all honesty, are the very semblance and proof of Paul's ministry. They are the fruit of Paul's efforts. No church existed before Paul. Once there, we all recognize if someone gets saved, it's never a person. We who plant and water are nothing. It's the Lord who brings the harvest, but someone's got to throw the seed. And this particular church, after Paul gets a bit heavy with them in 1 Corinthians, clearly calling them carnal, fires back with, in essence, the the same classic argument that you'll hear when you start sharing Jesus with someone. Who do you think you are to judge me? What are you, holier than thou? The sad part was, is these people didn't know Jesus before Paul showed up at the Corinthian shores. And you can tell Paul is hurt. And as Paul is hurt... He'll say, and then they ask him, the, moment, the most astounding thing, they ask him, could we see like a letter of ordination from you, a letter of commendation? Imagine, if you will, you're somewhere in the middle of a third world country, and he's in a place called Minland, and there, there's no sauna to be seen anywhere, and she's dying terribly. And as she's dying, oh, hi, go on, go on in, that's what, go on in, no one will know, it'll be our secret. All right. And as she, all of a sudden, somebody, let's just say Mally shows up, you know, hypothetically, and shows up, and as she does, she provides this, she she sort of surmises the symptoms, she takes a look, and then ultimately applies a cure, and then out, and then all of a sudden, Annie is just transformed. She's well now. And then after that, somewhere down the line, Allie starts to, Mally starts to recognize that there's something in Annie's behavior that's contributing to the sickness. And so she, out of love, says, by the way, Annie, you know, if you change this part of your behavior, you will never have to deal with this problem again. And at which point then Annie turns around and says, what? Who do you think you are? Let me see your doctor's references. Let me see your degrees. And, and of course, and Mally in typical style says, what? Look at you. You're well. And obviously they're in Brooklyn, right? So, now, and all of a sudden, and, and that's, where, that's where Paul is. And all of a sudden, Paul feels like he has to defend himself to a group of people who have been touched through that ministry. And as he does, he brings up some interesting things. About, and it isn't like, well, let me tell you about my education. Let me tell you about these amazing sermons. Let me tell you how many people are subscribed to my podcast, the Paul Podcast. Oh, no. Paul says, let me tell you how many times I got beat up. 
Let me tell me how many times I was shipwrecked. I mean, if Paul could have actually told these guys where we're at in the text, he had already been shipwrecked twice, if not three times. I mean, before this point, you see people going, man, we should never have taken you on this ship in the first place. He says, but I've never changed my mind. I've never gone back. I've never backed down. And in the middle of it, he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. And I know a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in body, I, I don't know, or whether out of body, I, I don't know. God knows. But such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And immediately we start thinking, well, how many heavens are there? God, God hasn't told us. And I know such a man, whether in body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and he heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Right before that he says, well, if you really want me to defend myself on who, who I think I am. So let's talk about visions. Now, for what it's worth, I, I have to make clear to you, I lean towards the fact that Paul is trying to be humble, but actually letting you know that he's the one who saw this. Somewhere down the line, Paul had an experience. Follow me on this thread for a moment. That was so powerful and so profound. He saw what happens when you check out of this hotel room. And it never, he was never the same again. What would that be like if for just a moment God took you up and he showed you what you could have had before you didn't invest? Imagine if you could go back just 15 years and buy Apple stock and go, man, I could have paid off now. But imagine standing before the shores of eternity and seeing what would happen with your life now. The kindness of that moment. Because we have so little description of what eternity is going to be like. Because to be honest, the one thing God wants us to see is Him. Because that's the one thing that is undeniably the constant of what we should expect when we cash in these mortal shells. Somewhere down the line, I get the idea that that kind of image changes you so much that you start to think, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I mean, we know some of this stuff and we're at church here. The problem is, is that heaven will never be new and improved. We're like, yeah, we'll get a new heaven and a new earth. Don't get me wrong. But in regards to the fact that God's not going, well, don't worry, three years from now, there will be like heaven 5.4, you know, and there'll be an upgrade. And I get the idea that somehow in this, Paul actually saw that really this tiny little thing that we call our life right now, this small collection of breaths, for some of us a few more than others, for some more laborious than others, but somewhere down the line, every moment's going to count. I mean, if Yasmin knew that she was going to be a professional basketball player and she had one season and that was it and God, and God told her that, she'd want to make sure she collected the best stats she could for that year because then she'll be able to spend the rest of her life looking back and going, that was it. Well, you've got a season here and here we are in the locker room and we're looking at one of our star players who have gone before us. Guys, that when we roll film on this, we still to this day observe how he did it because some of that stuff is so good that emulating it to this day scores points. And I want to look at that. I want to think, man, if I could see that. Wow, okay, let's look at that. And God is rolling film before us here in a moment that none of us would volunteer for. If God said, Nathaniel, here's where you are at the moment. Here's where I have for you. And you think, sign me up. God may be very kind to give you a hint more of this than he would the collection of what's going to happen to get there. Because the road may not be a pretty one. And certainly the road to Rome for Paul isn't pretty. Now, he's been a Christian now. At this point, it's roughly about 60 AD. If he got saved in about 34, do the math, and that's roughly 24 years that he's been saved. Think about that. How long that would be for you? What were you 24 years ago? Some of you. 
you weren't 24 years ago. You weren't even an uh-oh in your parents' eyes 24 years ago. Some of us would like you to think that of us. Paul has now traveled over a thousand, maybe nearly 1,500 miles. And in all of that, I can't help but think that resonating in his soul, whether he heard the words of Christ himself beforehand in Matthew 6.20 when he says, Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Lay them, lay them up. You know, and they say you can't take it with you. And I kind of get in Scripture, you can send it ahead. We have now been on 14 days on, a, on the ship. It's an Alexandrian grain ship. When we had left, Paul had said, I don't think this is a good idea, but he's a prisoner awaiting to stand before Caesar Nero. Doesn't have an awful lot of clout at the moment. And in that, the experts... The sailors, the owner, the general populace says, ah, whatever, who is this guy anyways? And they drive right into a perfect storm, the Euroclide and the Northeasterner. But it said, the south wind blew blew softly. There was these circumstances. don't, Don't miss this. We're getting on an Alexandrian grain ship. Alexandria is from Egypt. And we're getting on an Alexandrian grain ship. What causes us to leave against Paul's recommendation is a soft south wind. Well, after all, south is Africa. That's a warm wind. It still blows to this day. As a matter of fact, this last week it blew up Sicily. It didn't blow it up like explosion. It actually blew across Sicily. And when you looked at the cars, they were covered in red sand from the deserts of Africa. Brilliant as it was. But it's a warm wind. North winds, of course, are never very welcome. They come from places like Sweden and Finland where everyone wears dead furry animals on their heads to stay alive. And after 14 days of being, the tiny ship was tossed. And with that, we tossed our cookies. We tossed our wheat. We threw our ropes underneath. We tied it down. We prayed. We finally gave it up. And it's at that point now, Paul gets a visitation after two years. Two years ago, it was Jesus. Now it's an angel that says, cheer up, Paul. Now you get the idea. God's not going to tell you to cheer up unless you're bumming. And with you being in such a rough state, he says, cheer up. Don't worry, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it through this storm. But you're going to have to lose the ship. And we left it last, well, two weeks ago, isn't it? I've missed you guys. We left it two weeks ago with us surfing the shore on boards, clinging to each other, finding someone that looks big and buoyant, whatever it took for us all. But 276 people out of 276 people all make it onto an island. We're still in the storm. I remind you, the Alexandrian grade ship gets hit. We dropped, some, we dropped Twain, and as we marked Twain, it was 40 meters, and then it was 30 meters, and as we got caught, the front gets stuck, the back gets beaten, two currents, and we are stuck between two currents. And stuck in between those two currents, then the ship is destroyed. But we're all now, after two, two weeks of just hoping to survive and actually thinking we're not going to, made it onto the island. And that's where we are here now in our text in 28.1. It tells us, by the way, now when we had escaped, we found out that the island was called Malta. Now, Malta, for what it's worth, is a word that actually means honey. Not like sweetheart or like a pet name, but the idea that the island itself was very rich in grain, very strong for that. And because it was so full of things in regards to sort of wheat and flax and barley. Well, first of all, there was a great deal of bees and the bees provided a great deal of honey, but even the island itself looked like honey. It was just this beautiful heather color because of that. Now today, a lot of Malta is known at least by those in Italy and Sicily for its casinos. But in those days, it was known for its grain and it was also known, interestingly enough, for its superstition. There were two large temples there um, Cicero will tell us, by the way, it was a home for pirates, um, but there was one to Juno, and then there was one to Hercules. Interesting, because the idea here was something of great strength and justice, and then there was the one of healing, and that's interesting, because that's going to play right into this. Now, with that in mind, we're, we're in this place where we found out we just, where in the world are we? Now, it isn't like we have GPS or even world maps at a moment like this. All we know is we're just happy to have found land. Fourteen days of being at sea tossed around like that. 
And with all of that, now it says that when we had escaped, we found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives, and by the way, the word here kind of hints at the idea that we don't speak the same language. So imagine it's been 14 days of you just thinking you're going to die, and all of a sudden you get to land, and you're like, land! And you're kissing the ground, and someone comes up and goes, look at this, and you think, oh, this is going to be a scary moment. But notice it says in verse 2 that the natives showed us unusual kindness, which, by the way, means they didn't show them usual kindness. I'm not really sure exactly what usual kindness would be at a moment like this, Maybe, but it's, what's clear is it's cold and it's raining. We're shivering and we're wet. We've just come out of a, of a, a shipwreck, and the first thing it seems is that they've made us a fire. Well, that's a bit of a nice thing. So they kindled the fire... And made us all welcome because of the rain and the falling, the rain that was falling and because of the cold. Now at this point, I want to start kind of pointing out exactly where we want to go with this. Here's a guy that's governed by eternity. And in governed by eternity, there are going to be three very basic points, three basic audiences. We're going to see the general populace here. We're going to see the guy Publius. And then we're going to see the town folk here at the end of this. And, and, and with all of this, we see where the service is. And the opportunity to take or the low road or the high road in regards to being the servant God calls you to be. But being governed by eternity demands that we take the greater route. Demands that we take the better service. And in all of that, it's interesting because we're going to see a lot of challenges along this way. Now, I remind you, Paul, by the way, has been a political prisoner for two years. He's done nothing wrong. And in and I don't think about this now. Where in the point of this do you start throwing your pity party? What I found interesting 10 years ago when I used to say, or 15 years ago, and I'd say the problem with a pity party is no matter how many invitations you send out, nobody shows up. Well, today, actually, that's not true. Today, if you actually want to have a pity party, all you need to do is call in the talk show or, or actually show up on one of those TV shows or Oprah will show up. But one way or another, someone's going to show up and so say, tell us your sob story. Oh, wow, your life is really miserable. And, 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 and I just find that interesting because Paul is never going to do that. I and mean, we have such great witnesses even around us here of people who have been facing some pretty insurmountable issues that have chosen the high road instead. Well, here now, here we all are, 276 people thrown onto the shores of Malta. It's raining, it's cold, we're shivering, and we only read of one guy gathering sticks. Or at least one of them that at least tends to have a very noteworthy situation. So it says, notice, by the way, it says in verse 3, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks... And threw them in a the fire. A viper came out because of this, the heat and fastened onto his hand. Now, at this point, what do you do? Because here's your, one of your first opportunities to take the low road or the high road. Now, please understand, you either serve God out of the overflow of the love of what he's done for you and that relationship you have with him, or you're trying to serve him in a way that you're trying to make him happy. Now, in one case, I'm serving out of, and the other case, I'm, in the other case, I'm serving to. I'm serving to make God happy. I'm serving to win his approval. And if the problem is if I do that, I will always keep score. Is it enough? Is this it? And I can guarantee you Paul wasn't doing that. And I tell you how I know that. Because at a moment like this, which one of us doesn't at least go, Oh, come on! I mean, you're, 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 I'm grabbing sticks. Everyone else is gathered around. Even the Romans are like little sissies gathered around the fire. And there's Paul! We don't read Paul's big and buff. As a matter of fact, according to 2 Corinthians, people would say in the simplest sense, hey, look at, read his books, but don't see him live. He's really not that impressive. I mean, that's kind of the idea. And here's a guy gathering a bunch of sticks together. What a servant in a moment like this. And the easiest simple road, by the way, is to take the easy way out of waiting for somebody else to do the service. Now, I remind you, we're not doing it to make God happy. We're doing it because we already have his happiness, because we already have his pleasure, because we're his. And out of that love, I figure, you know what? There's a lot of people here who really aren't sure what God is really like. And they're actually looking at me because I'm the one who said, none of you guys are going to die. And if you're not going to die, you're kind of looking at me. And it's in those trials, in those moments when other people, you say, you know what? No one's going to make it through this. And you do. And we're not just talking about like you lived through it. We're not about that. You just didn't die in it. And all of a sudden, they kind of look at you and they're like, well, well what's he going to do here? And so you, you realize, eyes are on you. I mean, some people, they, you know, it's like they can't, no matter how much they try, they will never avoid the spotlight. Some people will be diving into the spotlight and should never be there. But some people, it's like, no matter, they hide in a closet, the spotlight shows up there. And I've learned, you know, it's like, just be faithful to be who you are in that. But here's one of those guys. There's no way he can avoid it. And so here he is, he's gathering sticks, and he throws them in. And I've done a little bit of studying the last few days about... Snakes, 
um, which doesn't normally bother me. Um, and I found out that there's at least three kinds of snakes that aren't necessarily indigenous, but again, if this is an area for pirates, they tend to make their way onto the island. And one of them is a Levantine snake, and this particular one is roughly about a meter to half a meter to a meter. Its head is flat, unique to vipers, by the way. It has one row of teeth instead of two, with can, sort of like the retracting fangs. Now, I know that this particular one, by the way, has this habit of when, when they sort of come pop out, that they have a tendency to actually fasten. And that's the thing that I see in this text. They actually fasten onto their, their subject, their, their victim, because it allows them to inject as much poison as possible. Now, here in this particular situation, now it's understandable. That, now, by the way, here you are. You were serving, but please understand what you're doing. There is a fire that is being made, and that fire that has been made out of, listen, unusual kindness. Out of unusual kindness, a fire has been made, and as the fire has been made, other people are enjoying it. But somebody knows that that fire, well, there should be some maintenance to it. And so out of love and out of respect for that, he wants to do something to do that. There will always be people like this. And can I just say, the Lord has started a fire here. And as the Lord has started a fire here, it is because of unusual kindness. But I'll go as far as saying it's because of grace. Because of the gift of Jesus Christ. And as that fire is burning, there are people out there that are grabbing sticks and throwing them in. And they're not doing it for credit. They're not doing it for glory. And you know it at a moment like this. Because here you are. All you're trying to do is just kind of keep, you're contributing. You just want to contribute to the fire. I want the fire to keep going. I want it to burn hot. And in a moment like this, a viper jumps out. And you're just like, oh yeah, here it is. A serpent at a time like this, right? And it jumps and it bites all over. And you can imagine Paul going, ah, come on. Here I am serving you. I mean, come on. It's 14 days. Shipwrecked. You promised me, Rome. What's this? But he doesn't do any of that. As a matter of fact, I do love the way that this is written because what the people expect is the same that's going to happen to you. Listen to this opportunity because it doesn't feel like an opportunity. And let me just say, getting bit never feels good. There's no point where you're like, yippee, I've been stung by a scorpion. Not good. I've been stung by a jellyfish. Worse. I've been bit by all kinds of creatures. There was never one. I've been, I've been bitten by a black widow. And I can tell you, none of those things I would recommend for any of you. And I've never gone, awesome, this is great. Getting bit never feels good. But when you do, how many people do you think at a moment like this are looking at Paul? All of them, because now it's not just 276 or 275 whimpering people. Now it's the people. Now listen, listen, listen. Now it's the people who don't even speak Paul's language. That's kind of the idea here. How do you connect with those? Don't we live in a place like that? Which one of you thinks, maybe I could serve and get bit in that service? That would be awesome. But people look. And listen. Paul throws him in there, the, the serpent comes, and, and here's my first of three just simple challenges today in regards to this. And it's a simple challenge as this. Listen, shake it off and move forward. That's my first challenge. Shake it off and move forward. Now, how many of you have ever played competitive sports? How many of you? Do you know the importance of a statement like that? Any of you ever been told to shake it off? Have you ever played a contact sport? Maybe even you've just played basketball Sunday here with us. Which, by the way, is full contact sport, we've learned here. It's like, kind of like basketball bee. It's like basketball and rugby. You know what we kind of got, right? There's, it's like, wait a minute, there are no scrums in basketball? Well, there are now. And somewhere down the line, it's like my, one of the first times we, we were going to play. And I kid you not, you know, like, we're all trying to get together. We're going to have fun. It's like one of my first moves. I kind of, kind of flipping around here. Gina cuts one way. I cut another. Boom, I fly over a foot into the corner of a wall. And, you know, I'm a guy, right? And so I'm like totally humble. I'm thinking about Gina. My first thought is, man, I have to get up. I'm not going to let people think Gina took me down. <laughs> That's humility. Right. No, it's not. And, and here's, here's the point, friends. Please hear me on this. Somewhere down the line, getting hit, can I just warn you, and getting bit, it's actually just part of the game. It's just part of life. And if you live your whole life actually trying to avoid it, you'll never really live your life. 
I mean, you've heard about people like Howard Hughes that like locked himself into a cell so that he could kill every germ that existed. And the guy was so neurotic because he got so fearful that it was, I mean, seriously, the guy just died vacant and empty and alone. And you can insulate yourself from those things. You can be so scared of those things. Or can I just say as your coach for the moment, you're going to get hit. And when you get hit, you got to do more than shake it off. you got to move forward. Now listen, listen, don't miss this. So here's Landon. And Landon's gathering sticks. And he's working hard. And he gets bit. Here he is, he's serving. And he gets bit. Now he could get bit by anyone. He could get bit by somebody in the service. He could get bit by one of the people. In, and I'm, I'm saying that in, in a figurative sense, right? Annie, you got that, right? Okay, but now follow this. I mean, except maybe his wife, but that's, anyway. So, so, you know, something happens. And it's like, maybe it's somebody in the church. Maybe it's somebody that's actually working with him. It's one of his peers. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's someone. It doesn't matter. But somehow in it, and here's the most amazing thing. Ready? He gets hit. And as he gets bit, everyone starts looking. And listen, listen. They're waiting for two things. According to this text, what were those two things? What was the first thing they expected him to do? What does it say? Swell up. Don't miss that. What is swelling up? It's being full of yourself. Only there's more of you. All of a sudden, they've got a whole lot more of you. And that's what they're expecting. So all of a sudden, Dash is starting to serve. And as he starts to serve, somebody says, I don't like the way you laid out the Bibles. Or, you know, something dumb. Now, that wouldn't happen here. But, you know, and if it does, stop. But, and at that point, someone else looks and they want to see how he fires back. And in a moment like that, if you could watch his spirit, you could almost watch him go... It's like the Hulk, right? He starts to turn green. His shirt starts. Oh, no, I, I won't flex because you'll go. Oh, he's really like the Hulk. But anyway, so, <laughs> but don't miss this because this is what people are looking for. This is what this because it's. And you know what they'll say is, oh yeah, well, you know those churches. Those churches are all full of hypocrites. And you're like, well, there's room for one more. You can join us. And and, and then they're, they're going to watch people and they're going to watch how people treat each other. But let's face it, doctors deal with sickness too. Doctors aren't the, I mean, the sick people that are in the beds aren't the only people that battle with sicknesses in a hospital. We all are human. And here it is in Paul, and so they, they watch it. But what happens when you swell up? Sooner or later, you die. And that's what they're waiting for. What? I mean, three guys are serving. How did that guy get to be assistant pastor? Well, first of all, there, there's no administrative ladder to climb in Christ. It isn't like, you know, I could start in children's ministry. And by the way, this is, this is nothing that we've, honestly, honestly, this is nothing we've had to deal with. We have amazing servants here. But you talk to these guys. Well, that guy entered in as a youth pastor because he thought that was a step up to assistant. And then from assistant, he should become senior pastor somewhere. And when that didn't happen and he wasn't recognized, he grabbed a third of the church and started down the block. You've heard stories like that. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, I've, I've been there. But see, you know what's great? You're here now. Now, I'm not saying that because we're absent of any humanity. We're human just like the rest. But you didn't just go off on one island and die. You know, some people will. We said goodbye to three pastors in Camden over the last month and a half, two months. And five in our area. And we pray for the people in those fellowships. I'm not praying they come here. I'm praying they go where they need to be. And if it's here, that's great. But I'm just praying they don't not go somewhere because of it. Are you swelling up today? Has something happened and you're thinking, man, who do they think they are? Don't they know they're messing with a man of God? God's like, you know what you are? You're a jerk I saved. Like the pastor. All we are. Are you dying? But think about what happens. Any of you ever have an allergy that causes you to swell up really bad? You lose your ability to think straight. Your vision starts to go. And then you suffocate. That's how it works. Listen to that again. You can't think straight. You lose your vision. And then you suffocate. Have you ever watched anyone do that? All of a sudden, it's like, you know, I've baked goodies five weeks in a row. Why isn't anyone giving me a card? You know what? I sweep this place. What happened? You know, I wrote that song. I did that thing. I cleaned that thing. I folded. I fold. For goodness sakes, do you know how hard it is to fold? 
And then you can't think straight. And someone says, oh, praise the Lord. And you're like, yeah, praise the Lord. And then you're I'm going to go to church and serve. Oh, praise the Lord. And God's like, yeah, I'm really blessed by you, chubby. And then you can't see straight. You can't see because all of a sudden you're so full of yourself, you can't see how God's blessing someone else and you can't rejoice in that. And someone goes, oh, the Lord just didn't. go, don't, don't even tell me. Don't even tell me how the Lord blessed that guy. Don't even tell me. Because at this moment, I'm ready to pop. No, I don't want to hear it. And then you lose it. Just everything gets so small, you suffocate. And that's what they're waiting for. And can I just say, can you shake it off? Here's the most amazing thing. Paul got bit, and he didn't cry. He didn't whine. And we don't read anywhere that he went and went, look at the size of those. Do you know how long he was in there? I counted 1,005. Some people might. All we read is Paul just went, and you know where he seemed like he shook that thing back into the fire where it came from? And can I just say, when you get bit, can I just say this? That when you get bit, then the enemy's behind it. Even if he can use a Christian to do something stupid because he used to run us before this point. Now we've surrendered to Christ. Now we have the option. But we make dumb choices sometimes. Shouldn't, but we do. Throw it back in the fire where it belongs. That's the first of them. What happens as a result of that? These people, and by the way, here is Paulus in seeking to be a Christian in a superstitious world. And these people are clearly that. And what, what, what is superstition, if you think about it? What superstition is, in the simplest sense, is when people ignorantly recognize that there is something out there beyond themselves and that they're accountable to it. And then they have to make it up as they go along. Don't walk under that ladder. Oh, you dropped a mirror. You dropped glass that had oil in it. You dropped glass that was mirrored but has oil in it. You're going to have bad luck for the rest of your life. My grandmother used to tell me that if I fall asleep when I'm praying, it's good luck. What in the world does that mean? You know, you ever try to fall asleep when you pray? I could see God going, ah... Uh, well, he probably called angels and went, check this out. This is different. And let me put it in its simplest sense. Here's the high road and here's the low road. The high road is, I'm going to be a victor. The, the low road is, I'm going to be a victim. I'm going to be a victim. I'm going to start the IHateThatChurch.com because I got bit. Or I hate that person.com. Or I hate that denomination or non-denomination.com. It must be a cult because I disagree with it. Because somebody there was nasty. And it's amazing how many people you can talk to and said, well, that person's a Christian and they did me wrong. And I'm like, how do you know they were a Christian? And they're like, because they told me they were. And you're like, and you believed it. And you told me you're smart. Don't you think Satan would tell you he's a Christian if you'd believe him? I know girls that are like, look at man, I've gone, I've gone out with a guy and he said he was a Christian. And I'm like, well, you could be Satan. And I'm like, oh, he probably was. Here's the second thing on that is there's, at the end of that, now they look and they go, well, notice here's the superstitious. Fate has not allowed him to live. Because when you don't understand a merciful God and a loving God, you will never understand how the Lord will allow people that love Him to go through those hard times to save people on an island like this. And then when you see this, you think, well, clearly the universe has a universal justice and this guy's not escaping it. And we ha do you realize that people out there have that? People that don't know God have that sense of justice. The entire book of, is of the Koran is built on this idea of justice. We're the only ones, by the way, who have the market cornered on grace. You're aware of that, don't you? Those of you who are familiar with this play Othello, unique in the sense that the bad guy, and I'm pardon, hard, sorry to ruin it, doesn't get it in the end. When it was performed in the Wild West, which, by the way, was the area of California and so forth during the Gold Rush, it was a very dangerous thing to be a good actor and play the, the role of Yago because men were often, and I kid you not, getting shot by the people who watched it because they had such a sense of justice, they were so into the play that when the guy seems to get away with it, one ain't happening around here, bow, bow, bow. and I'm like, well, guess where justice went now? You just killed an, you know, an actor. I'm like, you brought the house down, buddy. 
Because there's a sense of justice. And you know that you watch kids and kids are like, oh, come on, how come they get to when I don't? The problem is that's not just kids, is it? We're like that too. So now Paul is in, and they went from this guy's a murder, justice is being served to, well, this guy's a god. Which just tells you how superstitious. There's no place in between. Paul knows what happens when people start thinking that. They've already thought he was a god, if you remember, in the center of Turkey. And then those people that said he was a god then went to stoning him very shortly thereafter. Which very likely could be the time when Paul wrote, that, wrote about that situation in Second Corinthians 10. It may have been when he got stoned, because it doesn't say. It says they dragged him out assuming he was dead. It doesn't say he wasn't. And it said the new believers, in essence, gathered around him, and he got back up. And man, if I saw third heaven, whatever that looks like, and then I opened my eyes with all due respect, lovely people, and I saw you guys, I would actually be a little sad unless I actually thought you were there. You know? Like, oh, I just prayed and I'm so glad you're back. And I'm like, I love you guys, but could you? Anyways, you get it. Follow me on this. Here's the first one, and let me say it again so you can repeat after me as a mnemonic. Shake it off and move forward. Now it's your turn. What's the first one? Okay, now there's more than seven of you. Say it one more time. Give it to me. Yes. Again, I don't say that I've apprehended it, but Philippians 3.14 says, but this is what I do. I leave what is behind and I press forward for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now Lee says, look, I can't run and win this way if part of me is still going that way. I'm not built like that. Paul says, I want this so bad that this isn't important now. Imagine if you could leave who you were, your past, your whatever you were behind. Some of us were like good riddance. Others were like, most of that's good riddance. But can I take that? And it's like, look, at, let us lay aside every encumbrance, everything that keeps us from finishing this race to win it. We're supposed to run the race to win it. Not just place, not just to be happy on the track. Because if we really saw what was at the end, we wouldn't, run, we wouldn't stop running. So what happens then? Well, the people go and they say, well, he must be a god. And it says then, notice, by the way, <coughs> at that point, he's brought to Publius. Hey, Publius, the leading... No, how would you like to be the leading citizen? It doesn't say a leading citizen, the leading citizen. Citizen of the year, here he is. And his name, ready for this? Publius means popular. But if you're the leading citizen, more than likely you're going to be popular. And it says, he received us and entertained us courteously for three days. Now, I don't know if he had them for more than three days and they weren't courteous, but for three days he was courteous in his entertainment. And then during that time now, it says that his father lay sick with dysentery. He had the runs really bad. Which, by the way, in third world countries to this day is still, and except for AIDS, the second leading contributor to killing people in the world. And here's the opportunity now. Because don't miss this in verse 7. Read that verse and tell me at least one person you're sure must be there with Paul. You tell me. Ooh, who was it? Why? Yes, Luke, because it says us and Luke is the writer. What is Luke's job? He's a doctor. Don't miss this. And here's the high road and the low road. Here you are, Paul. You're with a doctor, and there's a guy who has dysentery. The low road says, hand it off to the expert. You're the doctor. Don't you have something for the runs? I mean, think about it. But he doesn't. Paul, in the first case, could have sat there while, and waited for the fire to burn out, but he got up and grabbed sticks. And even when the snake bit him, he shook it off and he moved forward. Now in the second case, here he is, and there's a guy and he's sick, and he could have said, Luke, this is yours now, take it. But he doesn't. Paul instead reaches out and he lays hands on him. Now I don't know about you, you have a headache, someone lays hands on your head. You have a backache, someone lays hands on your back. This guy's got dysentery. I don't know. I don't want to go there. But <coughs> follow me in this for a second. Is it not off? Think about this, because we live in this culture. Think about this. In this culture, we would die. We'd rather die than be in an awkward situation. And yet, in this culture, Christianity's awkward. So they've made it so that we really can't even be Christians without braving the awkward. Get that through your head, please. 
Oh, well, let's go back to talking about the weather. I bet it's really hot in hell. <laughs> That's awkward. So fo follow me on this. And I'll try not to develop this too much, but I don't want to be crass. But how do you know that a guy's got dysentery? Does he tell you? Does, like, does, does the son tell you? Or do you notice? It's like, I noticed your dad's getting up a lot and running out to the woods. That's awkward. That's the point. How many of you won't approach somebody because it's awkward? You know, to go, hey, sis, you know, I, I happen to notice. Hey, bro, when we walk by and those cloud of girls walk by, you fall because you're not looking forward. I mean, and I'm, not, I'm sorry, Bjorn, I'm just, just hypothetical. Um, you know, I mean, the whole point of that is, is that when do we brave that? When do we brave the awkward? Because let's face it, if we're really going to love each other, don't we have to do that? Somewhere down the line, you've got to love someone enough, gently but respectfully, but to crawl into their grill and say, bro, let me tell you, there's something I have a concern about. And somewhere down the line, Paul did it. And then there's the danger. If Dash is sick, and I lay hands on him, and he's no better, did I hurt him? I'll tell you what I did. I just showed Dash I cared. Did you get that? Here's my second challenge. What was the first one? Do you remember? Shake it off. Oh, I'm sorry. What was it? Shake it Beautiful. Here's the second one. Ready? Be available and risk it. Risk it. I'm available. I mean, like I could look and go, oh, I'm going to hand it off to Luke. He's a doctor. You know, that gal, she seems like she's having kind of a mental issue. Let's just send her off to some... No, 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 no. I genuinely believe that the disciples believed that if they could just get you to Jesus, he could fix you. And it wasn't like, you know, and someone said, well, no, let me tell you in greater detail my problem. I'm like, no, no, let me tell you in greater detail my God. Because it seems to me you're really good at knowing your problem, but you're not really that good at knowing who it is you're handing it to. And you know, some people are like so good at it, they could give you a six-hour sermon, and you're thinking like this, no, no, on their problems. And when you're going, hey, hey, uh, can I? And they're like, no, 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 no. I just, all I want to do is dump this on you. I don't really want to get better. I just want you to be worse. And you think, thanks, man. I love you. But then moment's like, you know, look at, can I just, can I just bring you to the God who actually put you together in the first place, who knitted you together, whose thoughts outnumber the sand on the shore, who is the great physician? And Paul was available, but he also risked it. And even if Publius' father never got well, one thing you could have said is that at least Paul was there to give it a shot. And can I ask you, do you have a risk it in your spirit? Is there a spot where you're just like, you know what, I'm just too busy being safe. And you know what It happens at the end of it all? You can get this. Congratulations, you did nothing really well. That's not what I, I don't want God to say that. I would rather try, look at, the failure is not accomplishing what you think. The failure actually, to be honest, is not trying. Because somewhere down the line, what we're saying is, is that, oh, I don't know if my God's big enough. I tell you he is, but I really won't demonstrate it. I do believe God, I do believe this, that God was either going to heal Amina or he was going to save a thousand people one way or another. He was going to carry that girl through it one way or another. And, and, and we didn't start this by saying, look at, I just think God's going to heal. I says, look at, God's eyes span the earth seeking to show himself strong to those whose hearts are true to him. And he wants to show himself strong through you too. And whether that's to remove the storm or to carry you through it, Paul just got through the storm, but God didn't take away the storm. They're still on the island and it's still a storm. They're on an island where people are going, whoa, 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 and then they show unusual kindness. They made a fire, and you're thinking, now, unusual kindness, I'm, I'm starting to think, I don't know these people. Is this to eat me, or is this to warm me, right? And, and unusual. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wow, you know, and then you get bit, and you're like, oh, come on, and you shake it off, and you move forward, and people look, and they go, look, 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 oh, look, 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 and Paul's like, no, 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 no. I kind of get the idea what that means. And all of a sudden, they're like, come this way, and they're going to take you to Publius. And somewhere I assume that Publius may be able to speak the language, and he's like, I got Dad, or maybe he doesn't. Maybe they don't speak the language. And he kind of looks at you and goes, How do you? But there's something universal about this moment, and you lay hands, and the, and the guy's better. And then all of a sudden, Publius' house turns into Publius' house spittle. It's a house spittle now, and everyone starts to show up there. And that looks a lot like Mark at the beginning when Jesus starts to heal. He heals Peter's mother in law, 
because you're going to need to be well. Sorry, you're next to me. Sorry, you know, that Yasmin. But it's like here, you're going to go with some. You know, you're going to need to be well. I know you got a fever because company's coming. Well, who? Every sick person in the town. So you might want to be well. Um, and think about it. It's like I don't have enough snacks for that many people. Don't worry about it. I got that covered. I can do that too. The Lord speaking. So here's my second thing again. Be available and risk it. We're going to move forward because I don't want to. I would keep you here all night. I've missed you, but for love for you. If you want to call it that. Um, what's the first one? Come on, give it to me. What's the first one? You know how un-British you sound when you do that? I just love it. I mean, I mean in the sense that you guys are like, you got something given. And I don't have to insult British culture, but it's, I'm breaking through the awkward. I'm American. All right, second one. What's the second one? Be available and risk it. Yes, risk it. Risk it. Risk praying for that person. Risk is like, you know... I, I don't know, the, the Lord may, I think he may be telling me to tell you this. And the person looks and goes, you're crazy. And then you're like, okay, but I just want to be faithful. When God spoke to Ezekiel, he didn't say, I, look, at, I'm holding you responsible for their obedience. What he says is, I'm holding you responsible for what I've told you to go tell them. If they obey or not, it's not your issue. You be obedient to what I tell you. Now, if you don't tell them and they perish, blood's on your hands. So if nothing else, it's like, look, at, I love you enough to tell you, I don't even know if, if, if it is the Lord. You can test that yourself. I just want to die innocent. I love me enough to tell you. Last thing, verse 11. And by the way, notice, by the time it was done here, verse 10, it says that they honored us in many ways. I'm not, I don't even know what that means. And then they provided us goodie baskets. 276 people. Verse 11. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers. That's Castor and Pollux, the sons of, of Jupiter, for what it's worth. It was sort of like a good luck charm to kind of keep you from another storm, which had wintered at the island. I think this is interesting. Notice in verse 13, it says that a south wind blew. Do you see that? And can I just say, Paul was on a shipwreck on an Alexandrian ship after a south wind blew. But he got back in the ship anyways. He could have said, no Alexandrian ships for me to this point. And I'll row myself to Rome. But he didn't. And can I just say, faith demands sometimes that you get back in the boat. You know, we talk about faith getting out of the boat and going overboard. And true, it's the case in a storm. Wherever the Lord is, if the Lord is walking on the water, ask Him to call you if He wants you there. But when the Lord's in the boat, get in the boat. And can I just say, that's all going to be part of what happens here. So after three months, man, three months, why? Because that's how long it's been that we wintered. We spent the winter in, on Malta. And now... It's time to start sailing again. And you know it. Listen, you know it. You know there's going to be a moment sooner or later where you're going to have to try this again. You know it. And you think, but it's been three months, man. I don't know. And you think, man, that first step, that first dance, she, you know, Annie takes a step and she fell and something happened hypothetically and all of a sudden it's like, God's like, look it, in three months you've got a performance and you're getting back out there and you're like, I don't know, Lord. I know if I try to land that thing, I'm going to get hurt again. And God says, no, 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 listen. I've had three months to work with you. Get back in the boat. And someone says, look, at I, I started serving the Lord and some crazy things happened. People were nasty and mean. Of course they were. It's like when I started being a doctor and people were sick. And, and, on, and, on, and I just, I don't know. And I'm fearful of this whole thing. And I'm afraid. And I'm like, look, at God's gifts and callings are irrevocable. Get back in the boat. Sooner or later, you know that it's time to sail again. You know it is. And you could say, but I'm a victim. And he says, look, we've already dealt with that. And you go, I got bit. We've already dealt with that. We're not going to take the low road here. We're going to get back into the boat. And what we did, we started traveling up. Hey, let me show you a couple pictures. Because where's the next place they went? And we're just about done here, by the way. Where's the next place? You tell me. What does it say in Scripture? We left Malta. Where did we go next? Syracuse. Does anyone know where that is? Let me show you, America. No, that's a long... That's, we, all of a sudden, we teleported out of the Mediterranean. Um, where's, where's, who's running PowerPoint? 
Oh, there you're back there. Can you start showing me some pictures? Let's bring some pictures. Okay, first of all, this is what we're doing here, just so you know. As we've, this is our island of Crete. And then if you realize it, and we're kind of working our way up. Here's our island of Malta. It's not very big, by the way. It's roughly 20 by 12. It's not a very big place. That's miles, by the way. And we've worked our way up. Notice where Syracuse is. Okay, give me a couple more pictures. Let's move them forward and move them quickly. This is, what's this, this is what Syracuse looks like today. Or I should say this. This is what Syracuse looks like two days ago. All right. Um, move to the next one. This Syracuse has, by the way, a theater, which tells us that it was larger than a village. Next one. It also has an amphitheater, which tells us it was larger than actually a small city. Move on to the next one. But there are two things that Syracuse was known for, by the way. And this is one of them. This is a cave. Does this look like anything to you? Especially if you've watched The Hobbit recently. This is an ear. And they actually said that this was the ear of the gods. There was a god that actually said was the god of um, Syracuse, or the god of the island. And they said that he was so jealous that he created a cave so that if you talked about him, he could hear you. What kind of god is this? All right, so that was one thing. Here was the next one. Go to the next slide, please. And this, by the way, was where they made rope. Interesting, the two things was a listening ear and rope that was made. And I find that interesting because Paul actually has cried out to a God who heard him, who didn't need a cave to do that, and he loosened all of the bounds. And I just think that that's fantastic. Next slide. Do we have another one after that? This is what I saw on the shore. Isn't that crazy? Do you know what that is? One more slide. Go ahead, the next one. It's an actual replica of an Alexandrian grain ship. just thought that was kind of cool. Sitting in the dock there at Syracuse. And so that's kind of what it looked like. Now, this one is much smaller. You're not going to fit 276 people there. But yeah, I kind of wanted to go on it. But then after reading this, I was a little bit cautious, especially because the south wind was blowing. Anyway, so <coughs> I just wanted to kind of give you a little bit of idea of what we're looking at there. We'll go back to the map and let's finish this up. Landing in Syracuse, we stayed there three days. And it says from there, we reached to Regium. By the way, Syracuse is 89 miles. Regium then is another 80, 90 miles. And then from there we'll go to Pizzuli, which is another 200 miles as we head north. In verse 14 it says, and then we found brethren. By the way, it says, where we found brethren. Now, when you find something, do you tend to believe that maybe you're looking for it? Does it say we stumbled upon it? It says we found it. So here they are popping through all of these places. And guess what they're not finding is the idea in the other ones. They're not finding fellowship. Interesting. We got to this place, and it says, We found brethren who invited us to stay with them seven days. Now, my question is, did they invite 276 people over for dinner? And so we went toward Rome. We spent a week there at this place that anyone knows of, Petuli. So maybe if you have the oil. Verse 15, it says, And from there the brethren heard about us, and they came to meet us as far as Apiforum and the three inns. And I think this is amazing. Because what this means is now that we've found fellowship in this place, Petuli, people tra- traveled as far as 50 to, well, I should say it this way, 75 to 100 kilometers just to join us. What an amazing trip. And by the way, I remind you, this isn't in cars. When Paul saw them, and this is where we end tonight, he thanked God and he took courage. And here's my third thing. Find fellowship and enjoy it. And that's where Paul ends this. We haven't made it to Rome yet. We'll get there next week, God willing. But what Paul did is he found fellowship. And when he found fellowship, it became a wildfire. Let's face it. If you knew Paul was going to be in town, even if it was going to be in Birmingham, would you take the train up there? 50 miles, 60 miles, 100 kilometers. They traveled to be with Paul and Paul has found fellowship, and he enjoys it. So let me ask you a couple questions, and I want to get to prayer. The first of these three things, what was the challenge? Shake it off and move forward. Shake it off and move forward. Is there anyone here tonight that needs prayer to shake it off and move forward? They realize they have been stunted in their spiritual growth because they're still too busy swelling up and dying. What's the second one? Be available and risk it. Yes, now we get beyond our past and we start to have to figure out how to move forward, right? And I'm going to be available. I don't want to tell you about how great God was 10 years ago and not be able to tell you how great God is today. Now, I'd love to, who isn't going to use a mean story as an opportunity to share Jesus with other people? 
But even if the Lord didn't allow you to go through the route that God allowed to mean it to you, what's he doing in your life tonight? Because people, you know, it's, it's like, look, at if all Jesus did was save you from hell, why doesn't he just kill you when you said yes and send you to heaven and wait and stop wasting time? He's got so much more to do, and the world is desperate for evidence that you are beloved. Be available and risk it. What's the last of them? Find fellowship. Now I'm preaching to the choir, I hope. Because I don't know about you, but I'm having the time of my life. Now listen. Bringing this to close, listen. Jesus was bit. He was bit by those, by the way, that he actually could know their names as they pounded in the nails and blindfolded them and spat on them and slapped them and said, who is it? That, come on, tell us who it was. Who hit you now? And man, not only did he shake it off, man, but he shook death off just by us. He moved forward in a way that the Lord wants us to now. Because that's what forgiveness does and that's how love wins on us. And beloved, please listen. My God so loves you. He would rather die than live without you. That's the whole point of this. And I look at this and I think, was the Lord ever just available? He was always available. He was available for a prostitute. He was available for a leper. He was available for the sickest of the sick, for the pervert of the pervert, for the weirdest of the weird, for a guy that he would travel across the sea because he was possessed by the legion of hell itself. Don't tell me how God isn't available. And don't tell me how your day is too busy to be available for God. Because if you ask God, He may actually make you a little bit more free. And that's what's so concerning. Because he's positioned you. He's positioned you in a place that I can't go and shouldn't because that's why you're there. And wherever he deploys you, look at, stop worrying about that I witness. Focus on loving the Lord and being evidence and he'll open your mouth. And he does. And lastly in this beloved, can I just say, that the Lord wants to make this fellowship something that He is so exalted that when we praise and when we pray, we are available. And we're saying, Lord, I'm coming when the bugle's blown, I'm ready for whatever it is, whatever it is. And the Lord says, well, let's see how you are with whatever it is. This could be like Jeffrey's I eat everything, as long as it's chicken. And you're like, Lord, I'll do whatever it is. Lord, I'll do whatever it is. And the Lord says, talk to that person. And you're like, I'll do whatever it is except that. And God says, well, how about that? And you're like, okay, I'll do whatever it is except that and that. And by the end of it all, you're like, I'll do whatever it is on my list. Here's four things. I'll do whatever it is. I'm, I surrender. These four things. I surrender. These four things. I mean, is that what we're doing? And then somehow placating ourselves, going, oh, but look at how I'm just serving the Lord. I'm just working. So I'm sacrificing, sacrificing. Ten minutes I gave God on Saturday at three o'clock. And I said, Lord, this is it. And the Lord put somebody right there just in case he went, ha, ha, how do you like me now? And you're like, okay, I, I didn't mean these ten minutes. And the Lord's calling out to you today. He wants that relationship. And He wants to fester this amazing glory through you that erupts out of you. Man, when we were there, do you know that Mount Etna? It's a, it's a, let me tell you how active a volcano it is. It shot, it literally shot pillars while it was there, erupted, of lava seven and a half stories high. You could see it from the villages. And you could imagine the villages were like, oh. It wasn't like, I can make toast with that. No, they weren't happy. And I'm thinking, what would that be if it were you? It lit up the entire area. Well, what happened? The Lord just kind of comes in you, and you're like, I want to I burst out Christ. I'm going to squirt out Jesus. Oh, so I just delighted him. And all of a sudden, and as you do, the Lord erupts, and it's like, woof, and people go, whoa, man, the whole area's lit up. And all you did was enjoy him. Beloved, as we go to prayer, where are you at tonight? Because the Lord wants to do something. And then, if you need to get out of here, you can get out of here, but we're going to spend, my brother and I, isn't it been awesome to have him? Yeah. Thank you for loving on him. I knew that that was very easy. We're just going to spend a little bit more time praising him. And you're welcome to hang out and do that. Um, and because I don't get this opportunity often, so I'm going to milk it. But, but fundamentally right now, let's get quiet before the Lord. Let's pray and then let's delight in him, okay? Lord, I thank you. 
I thank you so much for the privilege of this amazing fellowship that I get to be a part of and the joy of being able to be here and to open your word and expect you to roll over us in the most beautiful of ways. And God, I just want to thank you for the privilege of loving on you and that you and, and you love me first. I hated you when you loved me. I was dead and you gave me life. I was an enemy to you and you befriended me. And I think, how in this, how could I ever think that somehow I have to do it and you respond? I want to do it out of that love. And so, Lord, thank you. And Lord, for those right now that somehow they've gotten bit and they, that they stare, they're staring at this scar that is so old now that it's not even open anymore. But they're still swollen. And they're still dying. Tonight, grant forgiveness. Tonight, set free. Tonight, make alive, God, please. Make alive. I pray tonight, Lord, for those who can't move forward or they think they can't move forward, show them, Jesus, that if there's anything that should keep you from moving forward, it should be death. And you took that and then you move forward from that. And you live in us. And if that's the case, then, Lord, we want to be able to move forward too. And, Lord, we want to be available. We ask your forgiveness for those times when we know you've been prodding our heart, but instead we've been busy to try to convince you that we're too busy and we're somehow victims of our own schedules. And yet, Lord, I know what you really want is to have a bunch of people with their radars up and their hearts open. So, Lord, forgive us now and make us available and willing to risk it to a God who is invincible, who is the undefeated heavyweight champion of the universe. And Lord, with that now, I just pray that we would be able to, for those, Lord, who they're so afraid of getting back on the ship, they've convinced themselves that it's just going to be another shipwreck, and they've been involved in shipwrecks. But Lord, I just pray tonight that would be different, and that you would transform us and give us the faith to move forward, God, I pray. And that in that, Lord, we know that where that starts is to get in fellowship. And as we get in fellowship, we start to enjoy it. As we start to enjoy it, you start to manifest gifts. You start to fester delight. You start to minister and administer grace in such a way that the whole body functions the way you intended to. So Lord, please, tonight, Make us the body part you intended, you created, recreated us to be. And tonight, Lord, if there be any or many who have not accepted the gift of your Son, Jesus the Christ, who died on the cross for our sins and rose again, tonight, let it be clear in evidence that this is the place, this is the time to say yes. And if you've never accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And as that is the case then, I ask for you, if you were willing to agree, if you could say yes, then tonight I ask you to say amen. And what you're saying is, I agree, let those words be my words. Let that prayer be my prayer. And here it is. God, I confess to you I'm not perfect. You know better and so do I. I'm dead in my trespasses and sin. I'm guilty. I'm wrong. But you love me. And you've shown me such unusual kindness. You've shown me great grace. You've sent your son, Father, to die on the cross so that all my guilt could be punished. And then he rose again on the third day, just like your scripture promised, so that we could have new life. So, Lord, I want that new life. But that new life is not me as a free agent. It is me as a person who has been set free to serve, to stop thinking about myself, to start loving others like you intended. So make me a person who takes the high road to follow you, Lord, out of the boat to walk on the waves when you call me to and into the boat for fellowship to love on your people. And so, Lord, now, here I am. Jesus, be my Lord. Be the architect of my reinvention. Be my life, my light, my love, my liberty as I surrender now. Father, adopt me as your own. I am yours. In Jesus' name. If you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.